Welcome back to the 10 Songs to Change Your Life podcast, brought to you by The 10th Man. My name is Eric Davidson, and on this show, we sit down with musicians, artists, authors, and more to find out the 10 songs that shaped who they are. Before I introduce today's guest, I'm super excited to announce that on this season, we're welcoming on board as a guest host, one of Dublin's most well-known faces. Musician Mango Dassel will host a number of episodes on the show, and his first interview is coming up in just a couple of weeks. He's got a deep, deep knowledge of music, and he knows how to talk about it. And he's obviously a guy who's pretty comfortable in front of the mic too. Keep an ear out for his first episode coming up really, really soon. Now on to this week's show. I'm joined by one of my favourite new artists, John Francis Flynn. His record, I Would Not Live Always, was released last year and was met with widespread international acclaim. Released on Rough Trade's River Lee imprint, it redefined folk music for many people and led to attention that surprised even him. Ahead of his biggest headline show to date in Vicar Street on May 1st and off the back of a lengthy UK tour, we catch up with him to find out the 10 songs that changed his life. Um, what was the tour like at the beginning of the year? Um, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. The first time we did a a, a, a tour over there, so um, yeah, the we kind of most of the gigs were fairly full, if not sold out, and then a few of them were, um, a few of them weren't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we just like most of the like the, the bigger play, bigger cities were like kind of fairly packed you know and yeah. that was uh, you know amazing amazing to see so many people out like you know because i still think no, nobody knows who i am <laughs> yeah yeah well that's what like, I, t- I saw you talking about the record so many times it's like a lockdown lockdown project essentially so it must be yeah. strange seeing that m- manifest with loads of people staring back at you yeah man um yeah before before lockdown i start i actually started the record before lockdown and then lockdown hit and yeah and that was two years of kind of uh, it was a year of finishing the record and then a year of like you know watching how it was doing and it did really well um beyond my it went you know beyond my expectations you know mm. but uh so it was cool to kindly kind of finally get to play in front of people mm, mm. and uh especially like playing in like a different country is just kind of mad that there's so many people into it like and is there a difference can you tell um in terms of like the like the crowd reactions when you go to somewhere like london in comparison to glasgow as well didn't you do yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. so glasgow was insane you know and all, all, it was like it was sold out and it was a standing uh vi- like it was a standing venue everyone's kind of packed in and uh yeah they're just a bit mad in glasgow you know i think yeah. they're they're a bit like the it was a bit like the Whelan's gig here mm. just everyone was going mental mm. Um, but at least I knew half the audience in in Wales. I didn't know anyone <laughs> at the Glasgow gig, but they're still going mental. Yeah. Well, I know a few, a few people came over actually. Uh, but you know, just like it's, it's mad. Yeah. That this, and, yeah. And then the London gig was like a big theatre gig, like uh, kind of. I think that it's a place that's kind of purpose built for like. It's kind of like the National Concert Hall, I suppose, yeah. but it's smaller. Um, but we filled that as well, and yeah, amazing reaction. It's not the same kind of energy that you get when it's like everyone's standing and packed in a little bit more sort of chain strokery yeah yeah exactly yeah. but like it, it worked as well like yeah yeah Amazing. and is there a difference then like do, i know you got the band with you but because it's very much like your name on the poster as yeah. opposed to like saying the skipper's, skipper's alley stuff or mm, like the mm. even the even pub stuff or even session stuff or whatever yeah. else you're doing because it's is there more of a pressure with your name on the billing 
Um, yeah, I suppose like this is the first time I've been like the the front man, um, the person who's leading the show. Um, so, you know, yeah, like it's the first time that it's my pro- leading my pro- my own project, kind of. Um, so yeah, but I enjoy it. I I kind of I prefer it to be honest. I I, I love playing with Skipper's Alley. Well, it's a different thing. Mm. I just I like the buzz of. I find it very hard in Skipper's Alley to like. I don't find it very hard, but like, say you're on stage with Skipper's Alley, it's like we're kind of like a bit. We're a bit too casual about like who's leading the show because we don't. No one wants to actually lead the show. Everyone yes, wants yeah. to be on a set uh, like a level ground grounding, I suppose, and you know. Then it's it's kind of hard to know what to do, you know. Oh, we say this, we say that, you know. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be telling anyone else what to do, you know. Uh, but like with me, on when I'm leading the show for my own gigs, I just know what to do. I suppose mm-hmm. it's just oh, it's all on me, so I'll just do it, and I get a buzz out of that. Daily, yeah. You know, and then also I like, like you know, Alton plays with me as well, and he's he's just he's gas, so I can just throw him on the mic if I want to. <laughs> And you uh, did a break, yeah, 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 and which which has happened a couple of times you after know? Charlie, uh, Charlie Jail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is like a time when I had to change a battery at the start of the Wheelands gig. Actually, it's like halfway through the the first song, the battery and the tuner went. I was like, right, oh, and jump on the mic there for <laughs> two minutes while I change this, and uh, it went down really well. <laughs> <laughs> Little but, routine, yeah, 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 yeah. gas. Um, I saw before we get cracking. I saw you list uh, in in previous interviews the likes of like Steve Reich and Talk Talk and yeah. um, Big Thief, uh, S- Sam Gandel, um, and like a few others that are definitely outside the like uh, I don't know folk and traditional space. Yeah. But for this list, it definitely was super folk and and uh, like trad heavy. Yeah. And do you think is that is that just because you know obviously those individual people obviously had a big impact on you, but in terms of like overall genre. Or you know, or with you know subgenres and all that sort of stuff, is that just because the, those those types that type of music did just have a massive impact on you? I I was going to started from like in terms of influential tracks, I was I was starting from the start mm. in terms of my life in music or whatever, and I went through it, and and then as well like I tried to pick out tracks that were like very influential in how I think about arranging traditional music and rage of arranging folk music and then um yeah that, like so so it would be it would have been like how they maybe have sculpted my sound you know and um certainly like the likes of sam gandell and and like you know the rest of those heads you mentioned have had an influence but i suppose these particular tracks kind of have elements that are very much folk and they do something interesting to them and they're they're tracks that like or albums i mean that have or artists that Mm. have done something uh very particular that has stopped me and like kind of Mm. in a in a kind of in regards folk music mixed with other elements whatever yeah yeah change the idea of what 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 it potentially could be yeah 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 and that doesn't necessarily mean traditional music although a lot of it is traditional music and a lot of of the heads might have been influenced by traditional music. Mm, I'm I get you, yeah. So, okay, so we'll kick off. Yeah. Um, first track is uh, Matt Malloy, Boys of the Lock. Uh, Tara Bolton. Um, I read that you hadn't really, like, listened to 
folk before here and um, Matt Malloy said I think was it was it sort of like one of your sort of early uh, influences like or sort of one of your early sort of times actually sitting down and listening to it I, I read that you've kind of found some of it a bit naff in some ways even yeah I mean I was a child so yeah. like I mean I was I was listening to, to trap music when I was when I was a kid like I was yeah. I started playing when I was seven and my dad was playing the banjo and we were all listening to Irish music well I think Matt Malloy um was the first and I, I played flute as my main instrument I don't play it on the album but that would be my main like instrument if I was going to a session or whatever mm. um, and Matt Malloy plays the flute and I think it was just like the first moment where I was like oh actually this fella plays the same instru- instrument as me and he's making it like sound amazing and I was like do you know this is this is it was like a real turning moment in terms of uh, how I it was just that I, I immediately started it was a gateway into really appreciating Irish music. Mm, mm. Um, what was yeah. it that sort of uh, not put you off listening to it? Because I presume you, you were listening to it lots. But like, was it was it li- literally just an age thing of yeah. hadn't gotten into it yet? Yeah, I just hadn't gotten into it yet. Yeah, it was like it's a, it takes a little little bit of time, especially when you're not listening to like. I mean, if I had to come at it from an angle of like Planksty from the get go, that's mm. kind of very listenable music. Uh, but like when you're listening to raw. Uh, kind of just solo instrument you're playing if you're playing the tin whistle constantly you know like and you're not particularly good at when you're a kid it's like oh geez this is shocking you know and you're listening to like like real old school trad records because me dad was listening to them i'm mm. like oh jesus this is a bit i'm not mad into that so you need a gateway mm. even when you're a kid and that was my gateway mm. um and i was early that was early on i was I was quite young i was probably like 11 or something like that. yeah yeah it's an interesting uh interesting flip though have have been playing music for so long and then yeah. like you know only you know get, getting into it then as well like it's a, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting situation yeah. that probably not a lot of people have yeah i mean i was into other musics and like i was into the cars as you mentioned earlier on <laughs> i was t- you know we were tempted to use all these 10 tracks as chorus tracks but uh yeah no jules our producer put us off it <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah this was the first time I really appreciated Irish music and I suppose the reason I chose the track is because um, it formed the musician that I am now mm. and the music that I play now mm. and anytime I listen to this particular track it kind of brings me back to that time being brings me back to like kind of summers over like in Clare at the Willie Clancy Festival like waking up in a caravan beside the Atlantic and just being like wow this is amazing you know mm. it's just like a real atmospheric buzz and it's a real joyous kind of uh tune and he's backed by donald Lunny on the bazooki and it's just like really beautiful like mm. and, and energetic and yeah Wait, most people uh well not most people but a lot of people don't get into um certain types of genres until like much later on and i'd mm. say i've seen a lot of people talking about um you as a person who's now getting people in going down rabbit holes same goes for like the likes of langham and you know yeah. like these maybe they wouldn't have had much of an introduction or maybe family wouldn't have necessarily listened to Trad and Folk. Is it nice to know that now you are becoming that sort of gateway drug? Yeah, that's cool. Like, yeah, that that's amazing. Like, it never, it was never the intention or whatever, you know, but I suppose that'd be a weird intention. Yeah. Uh, but uh, certainly it's nice to hear that um, if, if someone was, yeah, it's nice to hear that someone's going down and listen to like real traditional music after listening to me. That's, that's great. Mm. Amazing. Um, okay, so the next track is The Chieftains uh, and The Morning Dew. 
Um, before we get talking about the actual track, I, I just thought it was interesting. Like, obviously, Clara Records, yeah. back in the day, incredibly influential as an imprint. Um, and, you know, like, how important to you, like, you know, I'm looking at River Lee and what, mm. like, Rough Trade are doing. Like, how important do you think those sort of, um, you know, more world-renowned uh, labels are for, for spotlighting sort of almost like scenes or... or um, uh, communities do you think like it's like I'm looking at Riverly and it's interesting obviously that they're not an Irish record label yeah. but they're doing so much to to spotlight and and amplify um Irish music um yeah I mean I suppose like there are no labels or there were no labels in recent times for for uh for Irish music in Ireland I mean like that are going to really highlight um really bring uh Irish music to a um to a wider audience. I suppose there is Rayluck Records, but it's a very small kind of thing run by Jack uh, Talty, and that's an amazing record label, and mm. it's very well chosen, like, cur- well, very well curated Irish music. Um, but in terms of what River Lee is doing, is like putting it on a, a bigger stage, and, uh, you know, they have that pe- the connection with Rough Trade and Beggars, so they can, you know, they have connections all over the world, so, mm. like, people are listening to that kind of music, and that's that's really important. Um and then I think Cloud of Records is actually coming back. I saw that with Universal or something. Had yeah, yeah, yeah. Did a deal with them. Yeah, I hadn't I hadn't seen anything since the announcement of the, the yeah. well, not partnership or whatever. Yeah. But it's interesting. So, so I think, I mean, I don't know much about it yet, but um, I think like maybe, you know, people are copping on and it took, as, as it generally does, took someone uh, in England to do it yeah. first before and before we all start copping on over here, like. Godfather Ted thing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, has has it been a, a good experience working with the guys? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. they're yeah top heads. Amazing. Yeah. Um, Morning Dew is obviously a beautiful song. Um, but like out of all the, you know, so many Chieftains tracks you could have yeah ch- uh, chosen. What was it about this tune that sort of um, sings to you? So the Morning Dew is just like um, it's the Bowron. It's it's just like the the orchestration this is the first type of like first like we're looking at the, the the start of this kind of band territory of Irish music you know what I mean uh, so like they're they're kind of all these arrangements that like you never like they're breaking down the tune using like uh, these beats from the barons and like uh, little riffs and layers mm. and it all kind of builds up and it's it's just like a real contemporary kind of sound um that had never been done before i mean i think actually they did they did play that before in a group called culturally cool and uh and sean O'Reilly, i think was the the main man behind that um but then uh paddy maloney and the lads did it in um in the chieftains but yeah it's, it's just the first kind of major like step into that territory and it's just a fucking banger, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's the stereo as well. That when you listen with the two barons on either side of your, yeah, it's, yeah. Like it's messing with how you're even listening to it. Yeah, and they're like, uh, they use two different tones. He has like a, he calls it a bass baron and a normal baron. It's just one, one's bigger than the other, and it starts like, and then there's like all these kind of like riffs going on all over the place. And yeah, it's just, and it was really influential for how we arrange music in Skipper's Alley. Uh, that's they're like Chieftains will be our kind of go to in terms of influence Amazing. there but yeah there that was um yeah and paddy maloney just uh passed away there last year as well 
Um, so I wanted to include some fr from him as well. Yeah, he's been a massive inspiration, you know. Yeah, and and like that idea of of um, you know, people are probably seeing you as a you know front person singing, you know, like but the idea of like incorporating those like instrumental elements and those like touches to like those influences that you had and also the session side of things was that important for you to include on the record as well like the tune element as yeah. opposed to singing um yeah i suppose because that's where i come from i didn't start singing until i was like 19 or 20 or something like that mm -hmm. you know uh so yeah it was very important like that is my background is mm -hmm. tune melody playing you know yeah and that's actually leads on nicely because i think the next track is the warsons um, the 30 foot trailer. For these days a man cannot thunder. There's a biologist say you must be on your way. And this is, I believe, where you sort of start thinking about vocals as part of your sort of mm. uh, like repertoire yeah. or whatever. Is that, is that, is that sort of is that accurate enough to say? I think I saw that in a, in a previous interview. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, um, so I was in, I was studying in Minute. And I was, uh, I very rarely went into college. <laughs> but one lecture I did go into was this lecture on folk music. Uh, Adrian, you can go into And I was like, this will be handy enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Adrian Scaffold was uh, teaching, he's an amazing accordion player. Um, and he was, you know, I think he's the head of the department out there now. But um, he was doing this this lecture and he played this track by the Watersons. And it's just for f like a family of, um, and there's four of them just singing in, in, in harmony and an acapella and they sang this uh Ewan McCall song called The 30 Foot Trailer and I was just blown away I was like wow and it was mostly I love Ewan McCall I love his songs I love this song but it was mostly the so the, the voices and the voices in harmony and just it was I was like, I was blown away by it and I was like at that moment I, I said to myself I need to start singing <laughs> you know and which is mad because for, for years I was like avoiding singing like genuinely never sang a song well yeah I've pretty much never sang a song in my life before that mm. unless you're really forced in the, at a family thing or something yeah well not even like I wouldn't yeah. ever like I was 24 but by the time my parents even knew I sang wow. I was singing at sessions and singing at gigs before my parents were like well <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he sang yeah. And then, like, obviously, you mentioned um, this legend to, like, discovering you and McCall. Yeah. Um, but also, like, Lou Kelly and a few other people. This is the path. This well, is the, this sort of is the gateway, yeah. 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 So as soon as I um, heard, the, and, the, like, the Watersons are an English group. Mm -hmm. As soon as I heard the Watersons blown away, looked, listened to loads of the Watersons and found Annie Briggs and all sorts of the English like Nick Jones and Martin Card well Martin Card was in the Waterson as well but uh um yeah uh, but then I was like right it's time to fucking go back and <laughs> sorry I keep cursing but, uh it's time to go back and uh find the the Irish stuff I'd not find it but it's, it's, it's always it was always there right in front of me you mm. know I just kind of avoided it for some reason I suppose like like when you're growing up there was this kind of hangover of like kind of this like uh like the cheesy naff kind of Kamalia territory that like mm. you know I just wasn't into and then once I once I start listening to Luke Kelly and the Dubliners it's like so easy to find all of the great stuff mm. of course there's cheesy stuff that happened as yeah. well but like even then some of the cheesy stuff was great <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. and it's just like open a new world completely like a new world completely and then I found all the 
a lot of the, the heads that were singing around my age at the same time we you know it was the start that was the start of it all really for yeah. me I suppose it's like you mentioned Talk Talk earlier but it's like Talk Talk and, Co- and Culture Club or something like you're still yeah, going to yeah. appreciate Culture Club yeah, and yeah. listen to Talk Talk you know yeah. but in terms of like the British folk and uh, then like Irish folk like what what is it about the Brit- uh, British folk music or English folk music that but yeah maybe specifically English in this instance what does it what does that do for you that maybe you don't get out of uh, uh, Irish folk um, nothing <laughs> definitely I get more out of uh Irish folk music or and, and like I mean there's certainly the, the Watersons do um, like certainly like there was like you know the voice squad did similar things to the Watersons like it's all very similar mm-hmm. the really good English stuff is like very similar to the really good Irish stuff there's 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 something I suppose there is something in there's there's a weirdness to some of the English folk music that I actually it's kind of like Wicker Man-esque when it goes down that territory, I suppose it's quite different to the Irish stuff. Um, and I love that. Yeah. Um, but in terms of, you know, like, I mean, there's like, there was so many like Irish people and English people, like they were all in the same scene back then, like in the sixties, you know, like, um, like they're all playing together mm. and traveling around gigging and gigging together, you know? Yeah. So, um, there's, there's a lot of similarities actually. The one thing, um, yeah, there's one thing. It's the guitar playing in the in the British folk music, the English folk music is, is is exceptional. Like, um, and it's uh, derived from the kind of blues kind of thing, but it became its, its own thing. And there's a, a lot of amazing guitar players. Now, back in the day, you also have like, you have Paul Brady on the Irish side, and you have Artie McGlynn, and they're real technicians as well, uh, unbelievable guitar players. But there is something about the English style. Mm. that like really um really like but and they, and they like it's very unique and it's spurred out, like it created all these amazing artists like nick jones uh martin carty uh john martin came out of that scene you know davy graham was probably the the main guy um but uh yeah so so i suppose the guitar playing would be mm. the the one thing I would say that yeah. they have over us, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and also, the, I love the, the weirdness or the strangest fact. That I, ta- I have a couple of questions for you when we talked about Larkin Grimm. Oh, yeah, yeah. But more in the, I was thinking, in, in for, for, I don't know, about something about that track, Let Me Down That Blood in the Devil's Claw, mm. Wicker Man, Territory, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah, that sort yeah, of like yeah, really absolutely. strange, She's oddball sort of. But they, you, yeah, think about that. It is, you know, that sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, mag- there's, a, there's a strange magic about the the old English folk music yeah, is odd. Yeah. There's an oddness to yeah. it. I mean, and there is that kind of element in Irish music, that pagan kind of like like Christy Moore, uh, like when I mean, he gets on the Bowron and mm. it, his voice is like gets into this like trancey kind of place, you know. Um, but it's like it's more affected or something in mm. the in the English folk music. There's think, definitely yeah. like more. They think more about the kind of arrangements, and you can have like like these weird like recorder arrangements yeah. and like drums that go boom boom real simple kind of yeah but weird arrangements there's a longing though in or like a sort of um like a, a devastation in irish folk music that is like obviously lingering where from like colonial past that you can always tell like there's always like that anti 
anything mentality whereas the English folks is, maybe there's that sense of like never really have much to worry about guys <laughs> you know? so you can be a bit weird you know like maybe just something in like that I don't know maybe <laughs> yeah. um, okay cool next track is uh, Planksy and Raggle Taggle Gypsy Yeah. Um, uh, probably one of the few groups I was, I was thinking that I would have probably put money on that would be on the list. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before I saw it, um, you know, do, do you do you remember like have, obviously having uh, you know played uh, traditional music from such an early age, um, mm. and then gotten into it, you know, even you know at a relatively early age too. Um, would you remember the first time you heard Planksy and and their music? Um, I have a vivid memory. I'm not sure if this is the first time I heard it. But uh, I have a vivid memory of watching the watching them playing this track on the Late Late Show, um, like a black and white recording of the Late Late Show. I was watching it in my kitchen on my dad's computer, and uh, I was just like, "Jesus, this stuff is amazing and raw." But like the arrangements are just, you know, real powerful, energetic arrangements of of an old song i was like geez this is really amazing uh, it, but like yeah that, that was the first i can't i can't really remember exactly if that was the first time or not but uh mm. yeah and and this track specifically what is it about this stuff i don't know it was just the energy in it it was like you know it was my it, it was the fir- this is my step first step into planksty and it was just a mad energy and i was thinking like it goes in like like it's just not what you expect out of with Irish music. You have all these ma- well, it is now, but like you have all these mandolins and bazookies and like doing all these like mad uh, riffs all going all over the place, and like you have Christy Moore beating the shit over Bowron yeah. at the end, and it's just like yeah, just raw and energetic. Mm. It it's funny that like, even the the subject matter, it's kind of like. The, and it's the same we we're talking about obviously the folk horror stuff but it is all this yeah. almost this like uh these like far-flung stories that are super relatable for some reason it's like, it's like with yourself with my son tim like mm. you know that like yeah you're bringing you're bringing this like almost like ancient story and you're but it doesn't you don't feel you don't feel transported to you feel like it's you're you're in the garden yeah, with yeah, them, yeah. if that yeah, makes yeah. sense absolutely i mean i think that's the beauty of those those arrangements as well as making them feel uh, familiar to the ear. I suppose it's it's like retelling old stories. If you're if they're good enough, you'll um you'll listen. And then if you can um if you can add music to that, and then it, you know you'll really suck people in. Mm. You know, they're kind of like fairy tales, I suppose. But like, well, they're not really fairy tales, but like real, really, <laughs> real human kind of things. But uh, uh, yeah, I suppose. The arrangements really draw you in and give that energy to to the, to the old story or whatever. Mm, yeah, no, I get you. Um, I was thinking this with with like Christy Moore and Planksy, and then we're going to talk about Irla or Leonard now as well. But like, the artists and trad and folk tend to be like super, super prolific, like constantly, constantly making music, like constantly releasing music in relation. Like if you look at you know other genres. It's definitely a huge more amount more music being made by a lot of these artists. What mm. do you think that is? Why do you think it's such a like there's such a big turnout of music and like and it's and it's it doesn't it doesn't ever feel um you know for the sake of it like it's all yeah. very for, for the most part especially with these artists who we're talking about yeah. here it all feels very considered. 
but yet there's just this huge amount of music whether it's solo or, or in groups what do you think that is with, with folk and trad I don't know I think it might be to do with the fact that there's a big scene of heads and everyone's collaborating all the time so mm. there's like you might have Planksy you might have had Planksy playing but then you have Andy Irvine playing with uh, with uh, Paul Brady and then you have Christy Moore doing his thing and he's also in Planksy and then you have like Liam O'Flynn doing solo records you know so like it's not just a band they're all solo musicians as well and they probably all have these partnerships with loads of different heads in, in the scene so it's like just a, just a scene probably produced mm. a lot more than you know a lot more records than you expect just through through that mm. do you think it's easier easier for them to collaborate because it is so paired back as well like say like even like the likes of the cobblestone i'm sure you've been sitting beside a wide range of amazing yeah um artists like and like you know and it's so it's so uh, interchangeable because it's such a uh, not the obviously not the skill itself is easy, but like you know the situation is actually quite accessible if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I suppose like when you're as well like when you're playing with someone for for fun, like if you're going to sessions and you just have you just hit it off with someone, you're playing really good music with them. It's kind of like a no brainer maybe for some people. They're just like right, we could just go into a studio and record ten tracks tomorrow mm. and lash it lash it out as an album because you know you're playing so you're you're both. A, real high level and you know it's about that kind of connection you have with those people um so and it, it doesn't have to be this big concept or anything that you don't have to think about it too much once it's good music mm, yeah. um but some people i think feel people also i think back in the day there was a lot more heads that were like um they probably needed to put out more albums like so say these this day these days like with traditional musicians a lot of heads are you know, primary school teachers or whatever, and they're just kind of like casually playing away and, you know, they might release an album, but they might not. And mm. But the lads back in the day were probably just, you know, you know, doing as much as possible so mm. so they could get more gigs, so they could, you know, feed themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely, yeah. Um, okay, so well, speaking of Irla or Leonard, um, Ava, oh, I think I'm pronouncing that right, Ava. Irla, uh, Awa, I think. Awa, okay, Awa, yeah. So you you mentioned um, before that this album uh, Seven Steps to Mercy is at his absolute best. I think so, yeah. Um, like I think this is one of the really, like I think this is a really overlooked album in, in Irish music. Now I I just. Maybe it's not. Maybe loads of people love this album, <laughs> but I just ne- I never hear of anyone talking about it. Mm. And it was recorded like I think it was recorded in 1992 or very very long time ago. Anyway, and it's just doing something that's like extremely contemporary, like really experimental, ambient, uh, like Shano's stuff that, but like really, really, really tasteful. Mm. And uh, I, yeah, I don't really understand why you don't hear more of it like mm. um but i mean earlier lunar has done like loads of stuff since and you of course you're obviously going to hear with the gloaming and uh afro cal sound system and all those kinds of things but like yeah this is definitely uh this is a, i think this the, the whole album's a masterpiece like mm. and like you, you mentioned the vocals quite a lot um you know when discussing albums like this like it's probably difficult and it's pretty indefinable, especially with someone like Irla. Mm. But like, can you put your finger on what what it is about like the vocal side of Irla's work that is just so, um, 
Yeah, well, I was gonna say why, why is it so indefinable, but that's a bit of an oxymoron, I think. Yeah, for, yeah. Like you know, do you know? It's like what what is it that hits home with you so much? Um, I don't know actually. Uh, like I I feel like um, he's just doing his own thing, and a lot of people maybe don't like a lot of people from the like maybe the Shannos scene maybe aren't as into him because he's he's very clean vocal and. He does a lot of these swells and stuff like that, um, but um, like it's not what you'd expect out of a Shano singer. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. It's just like anyone I know who sings Shano's is is a little bit raw. All the old heads that I listened to would have been raw singers, but Erla has this pure voice, and it's like it's really different. And it's it, I suppose it it's um, it, it it can go beyond Shano singing his voice. And um, I think, like, when paired with the arrangements on this album, it just brings it into a kind of a completely different universal kind of music. And, um, you know, it's a bit like the whole album, it's a bit like Sigur Ross or something like that. Um, this particular track's like quite uh, like an experimental ambient kind of thing. Um, but like some of the other tracks are kind of maybe more poppier that sound more like Seagrass and but and then there's some other ones that are like just straight up him singing Chandos and uh, the whole album together is just like stunning mm. and but, is that collision of the experimental and the traditional is that something that you really wanted to explore in your own record yeah I mean this album is really influential for me for in recording my uh, uh, my album so uh, it's um, certainly like in terms of going from something that's straight up, like I mean, you think of albums, and I think like, oh, like if it's a, if it's a if it's a traditional album, just keep it traditional. If it's like experimental album, you know, like you, you know, that's the theme of the album, you know. But like, you can go in and out of that. Mm. Like, you can have tracks that are just raw traditional kind of music, and then it's nice to juxtapose that with something that's more experimental mm. that brings you to a different place. Um, and then something that's you know more listenable, but still like you know using you know kind of using synthesizers and playing around with uh, playing around with kind of modern elements, I suppose. Mm. I think it's funny, like because the kickoff, like of the of your like obviously on the start, of lovely Jones, like mm. it is that sort of like straight from that. Is that like a synth sound at the beginning, like yeah, yeah, yeah. into like and then just. Back into you know, so you're almost showing at the start going, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna. This is not what you're gonna, what you're gonna expect. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah which, exactly. Yeah, which is really interesting, right? Yeah. To like kick it off and I don't know, nail the colors to the mast a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. Cool. So sixth track is Lark and Grim and Harpoon. Um. You said before that the Harpoon is one of your favorite albums as well. Yeah. Um, I actually wasn't familiar with with Lark and Grim or this record, so yeah. interesting to hear what your why it made the list, I suppose. Um, yeah, I just found this record in my dad's gaff one time. Um, or my man dad's gaff. Uh, but my dad's uh has a collection of a lot of CDs and like, yeah, I just found it and I was listening away and I was just like, what is this? <laughs> it's just weird. Like she, it's like mad arrangements of like she's just kind of. It's it's hard to describe it. She's I think she just used she's just herself in the studio and she's just recording, um, all these acoustic instruments. So she, I'm not sure she's even playing some of them. She's kind of like 
sounds like she's dropping some of them and like <laughs> you know and she just layers all those sounds over the top and she's kind of this like witchy kind of character she's born like on a com in a commune and she seems to be like influenced by like appalachian folk music but also maybe something like the other world <laughs> kind of like she just but this one particular track uh harpoon baptism is just her her voice and it's just like her laying layering her own voice over over the top of it like i mean just i mean it's just layers and layers of her own voice and it just gets to a point where she's like screaming and i was like this is mental but i love it like when i first heard it, i was like this is like freedom in in recording she's like don't care i mean not she cared what she put out but like it's like no restraints whatsoever mm. you know just showed you what it kind of opened my eyes to like the real book close the real book throw the real book away and just mm. go at it in a studio like mm. and did you do you ever feel that when you're putting out music yourself that you, there are any parameters that you feel like you have to go under and like especially with you know when it gets to the point where you're on say on a label or whatever I know we really aren't exactly like you know the ones that put parameters on music yeah. from from you know their uh, back catalogue but mm. do, you, do, you, do you ever feel like that you have to consciously remove barriers when you're making music Um, I haven't got to the level of Larkin Grimm with, with that kind of stuff <laughs> Uh, but I've definitely like I mean working with traditional material I'm always kind of thinking of the balance mm. you know I want to represent that traditional material in a in a fair way the, the, the arrangements have to um, aid the material and if they're not aiding the material then like you know there's no point um, but there are there were some tracks where I was kind of like um, right we'll just we were improvising in the studio and like I was kind of just like let's just lash out a lot of stuff where I was like playing the guitar and kind of just uh, singing no like just singing no, no words or anything mm. and uh, Ross was messing around with his tape machine and we made a track like that which was along those lines of just like don't give a shit what it sounds like just lash it out and then we actually used that track as a kind of a, a bed for bed for something else to come over like a, a recitation to come over mm. but um yeah, it is nice to get to those territories mm. where you're like freedom. F yeah, but uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not. I haven't. I'd love to make an album that was just, you know, along those dark and grim kind of lines where she really just lashes out whatever she wants. Yeah, and do you feel like like there's a like I think it's more and more you're seeing artists. You know, it used to be say you'd like make a make an album and then you'd maybe make an album under a pseudonym or whatever, and it would be you know to try and go down different avenues that maybe you'd feel like you'd you weren't allowed to go down quote unquote like do you think now it's like at a point now where artists are able to like if you were to make an album that was say just layered vocals or whatever you wanted or like an even totally different direction do you feel like you'd be comfortable releasing that under john francis flynn now i've thought about this before um and i don't know yet mm. like i've like certainly i would like to i i, I have ideas to in the future maybe make some albums that aren't that are yeah aren't traditional mm. and that are not aren't that aren't traditional based and just you know but I haven't got to that point where I I know what that is yet I have ideas but um whether I can put them under the John Francis Flynn name like I might be able to mm. and but if I if I can't then I I've not, I wouldn't have any issue with yeah 
you know, putting it under another name. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So next track, uh, Sufjan Stevens, uh, Detroit Lift Up Your Weary Head. Um, so, uh, yeah, tell me about this track. Um, that was interesting. You know, the, this whole record, the album that this is from, mm. is like this like ode to like Michigan and like yeah. Detroit, and it's it's interesting like those like parallels like in this track in particular talk, talking about like the cultural gutting of the of the city apparently or yeah. uh, obviously. So it's like. You know, is there parallels that and like you know, say this the work you're doing f with Dublin is dying? Are you seeing those sort of like things where you're like seeing? Is it is res? I suppose my question is, is it resonating with you because you know you're you're seeing those like cultural things happen like on your doorstep too? Um, honestly, I got into this record way before I had I way before and like that was yeah. uh, on my radar. Um, but yeah, certainly now I'm you know I can certainly look at it like that, mm. but um. Originally, I was just, you know, I was probably 12 or something when I heard this record. And yeah. I was kind of just like, listen, well, maybe I was a bit older than that, but I was just listening to Nirvana and Led Zeppelin and that kind of crack. And um, and I wasn't really listening to anything, any mainstream kind of stuff that was coming out at the time. It wasn't any, I wasn't listening to anything like contemporary. That was, mm. you know, like I was just like listening to old bands. Um, and um, and then this was the first time I was like, "Whoa, this just hit home!" And I was like, in my mid, I don't know what age, I was fourteen or something. Like that. Mm. I was like, "Dude, geez, this is insane!" The, the arrangements. I wasn't really c concentrating on the lyrics whatsoever. Just like the arrangements were absolutely insane. So went from hop from one genre to the next, almost like w within like a seven or eight minute track. You know, there's like three or four different genres <laughs> and try it four different like like loads of different sections loads of different instrumentation and it's kind of folk based and classical and rock and ambient and but it all works it sounds mm. like it, it was like this shouldn't work i mean like obviously it does work but and it's in a really listenable way it works but um yeah i was just like blown away by the the creativity the, like the creativity and the 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 th I was wondering, I was thinking like, how did, how could he possibly have thought mm. about all of these things and put them all together? Mm. But uh, yeah, just massive, massive journey in those tracks. Like yeah, and the live element with him as well. It's like the trying to bring that level of like uh, I don't know nuance and texture to the live setting. Is is that like something you know when you're because like yeah, you're, like your record is it, it, there is so many like nuances to it. So mm. when you're bringing that to the live setting, like what? Like how do you go about setting that out, and how do you go about like mapping that out? How do I? Yeah. Um, I suppose like there's limitations in what we can actually do. Mm. Um, like with like with, with Ross and Brendan and Alton, like you can do like you can kind of recreate most of it with the recorded tape stuff, and then Brendan on guitar or clarinet and Alton on fiddle. But if someone's not there. You know, like like the lads aren't available for every gig. You know, so like maybe it'd be two of us, and it, it all still works. Whatever, it might be slightly different each time we play it, um, and it's open to improvisation. You know, there's a lot of imp improvisation involved, but um, yeah, I, I suppose it's just 
it's quite hard to completely re- replicate the the mm. album, but if it's coming close to if it replicates the, if it re- replicates the the emotion in the songs, then then it's happy. I'm happy, like yeah, because it leads on to this the next. But well, the next was we'll kick off this. Uh, the next track is John Martin and Small Errors. Um, I, I was reading up about this, you know, the lo- location recording of this track. You know, mm. it's like re- the, the original recording was like outside with like birds and oh, sounds yeah. of the, you know, so it was like all, uh, those textures weren't like, you know, added in afterwards. They were yeah. sort of like, you know, recorded in real time. But it was just like, it was interesting because like I was reading up even the tape recordings you're talking about on, mm. um, like on, on, on your album. You know, is that is that something that you try to seek out as well as like you know those as well as interesting ways of um, writing the music and like experimental ways of writing the music, but also like how how you record it and how you like, how it sort of like is how, how you add those textures, I suppose. Um. Yeah. I mean, there was certainly like there was there was things we we were experimenting with that kind of stuff. Um. When we were making the album, there was there was a there was a track. Um. That I wanted to record in Walsh's at the session. And I just wanted the um, the sound of people in the background in the pub, me singing, and then the idea I wanted uh, it to be kind of just me playing on the guitar, and then the ambient sounds of people in the background, and then halfway through the track, it would a drone kind of from the from like Brendan's prophet or whatever would have come in over that, and then it would become a more ambient piece, and the combination of the 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 ambient elements of the the pub and the just the like spacey uh, synth drone and then me singing like really appealed to me but it didn't it didn't work out as well as i mean like it just it was it was good but it it was actually just nicer to record it in the studio and uh that's how we did it in the end but uh but certainly there are um textures that i, I do think about that kind of stuff yeah mm-hmm. like i like to I don't really mind when there's like there's a few moments on the album where there's like doors creaking and you wouldn't notice them but I would mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and I was like I was like that's actually fine you know like that's a nice thing doesn't interrupt it but it's just like for me it keeps you the way we record it is like you're you're in a feels like you're in a space mm-hmm. I suppose that's kind of like um this track with John Martin is like you know, he does feel like it does feel like he's he's in that space. Doesn't feel like they've added that in as as an extra or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That uh, it's the little momento for yourself as well. I remember talking to uh, Kojak around the time you was released Delhi Daydreams. Oh yeah. Or I think maybe it's the second album or whatever. But he was saying you record it in his wardrobe in his mom's house. <laughs> you know, and it's like, but he knows that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The sound it isn't necessarily affected by it, but there yeah. is that sort of like. You know, I don't know. It's for yourself and for the people who are involved in the album to know, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like where it was recorded and the placement and it, like how I don't know. It's like that. Uh, it's like a little photo album or something, a yeah. little audio photo album or something like that. Yeah. Um, small errors though. What? Tell me about why you, why you chose this track. Um, yeah, I could have ch- chosen any, you know, John Martin track. There was a, there was loaded loaded John Martin tracks that I, um, that I find very influ- influential. I suppose this one, in like. Like coming after the Sufjan and Stevens track where it's like, you know, very busy. This is uh it's just a kind of an ambient guitar track and just goes on for eight minutes. 
sings a little bit in the middle, but it's just like so chilled out. And he was an amazing fella to go like like a bit like Earl Leonard. Uh, you can go from just a straight up like folky kind of may you never or over the hill to um to something like this and it would make sense you know what i mean and then they have the more like pulsating uh glistening and well, what's it called again the, the, anyway the other kind of more experiment experimental tracks like rod be the devil and stuff like that um is that what's called <laughs> anyway um um but yeah this particular track uh i just I think it's the one track that I was like, we were talk- talking about this uh, with my mate there a while ago and uh, we were asking each other, like, what one track? If you were on a, a desert island, <laughs> you could only listen to one track forever. Yeah, forever. The, show, the show we ripped off for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I was like, well, that's a fucking, that's a contender there now. I'd say that we, that's the one I chose anyway. I was like, you know, this is just so calming but still soulful mm. and anytime you listen to it just there's something you kind of no matter what you're feeling it can it can suit whatever 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 mood you're feeling you mm. know what i mean and um yeah just think and and why i think it's really special as well is like he comes from that folk tradition he sings some traditional songs obviously he's a songwriter first and foremost but then he just goes into this mad experimental zone that's really listenable and just blows the whole scene open back in the day and mm. still if pe- if he came out with that today you know like people would be like whoa that's fucking cool that's a real interesting it's, it's, it's timeless kind of stuff mm. you know what i mean um timelessly forward thinking like yeah 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 i mean like i don't know he's i think he's one of the best artists of all time you know mm. amazing um okay cool next one porter's head uh, and the rip such a beautiful song so like just I, I like going back listening to this it was just it's probably the one when, when i was going back and i listened to more times in a row you yeah. know out of out of all of them mm. but it, what i was thinking was it's really interesting it's such an all like sort of all-encompassing song as well it's really like holds you or something but yeah it was the repetition of the lyrics and i was actually thinking it was almost like a chant that was actually like shallow brown that was what was sticking out to me for yeah, this when yeah. I was trying to think of the influences it put it was that you know like the wild white horses and it was like shallow yeah. shallow brown there was a real nice sort of like because is, it is that same uh, atmosphere in the two songs yeah, which is yeah, really yeah. nice um, yeah so as, as a as a, a, a you know influence Porter said tell me about that first and then we'll talk about the track maybe yeah so like I I came across Porter said again my dad had I just found it in my dad's collection uh, Port said third and I listened through it and uh, I hadn't really listened to anything like it before um, it was just that uh, combination of Beck Gibbons's voice with these like real stark industrial kind of uh, beats and um, and synthesizers and I, I just I just got hooked mm. immediately just this trancey kind of momentum and um and this particular track as well um why i chose this off that particular album i could have again i could have chosen a few tracks but like this one just starts off in a 
a very folky way. It's just I think she's playing a ukulele or someone's playing a guitar. I actually maybe it's an acoustic guitar, and it just develops into this. Like halfway through the track, it just develops like this arpeggiated synth comes in and it it just turns into something else. But it's still the same thing. It never it doesn't feel like it's it takes off like. Mm takes off into somewhere else but it still holds that same emotion mm. and i was like wow that is like real inspirational because i was like how i, I would never have thought you'd be able to do that hold mm. that same emotion um and change the the dyna- change the um the timbre of the music so much but it was just it's stunning it's stunning like in it, it's stunning piece of music in in in, in that i suppose mm. amazing yeah amazing um it's really interesting that the, the that you keep referring back to your dad's collection as well. Like yeah. it's so funny how uh, how like unknowingly influential that can be. Like I was only talking about this with my dad the weekend. Yeah. I remember him giving me like a Left Field album and yeah. then a Gorillaz album really young and then my taste as went on from like was I was listening at the time probably listening to Led Zeppelin and yeah. Nirvana and then yeah. I started listening to like a shitload of electronic music because yeah. of Left Field and then loads of hip hop because of Del the Funky Homo Sapien on yeah, yeah. you know so it's mad how just it's like these like it pro- probably innocuous enough because it was probably a collection that was just left there in the corner and then yeah. you, you're rifling through as a kid yeah but it's mad how 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 your path is sort of so like vastly changed by like this like but it's someone but it's someone totally inadvertently basically yeah, yeah yeah i mean my dad is definitely my biggest musical influence even though he's like he plays banjo now but like i wouldn't it just in terms of his how he thinks about music how he appreciates music mm. and his taste in music like you know he's definitely my biggest influence mm. beyond any any artist or whatever you know because he introduced me to so many different and he's constantly still like have you listened to this yeah. have you listened to this have you listened to this like and like you know he he has such a broad broad taste in music that like you know I, I, like it's very hard to keep up with him to be yeah. honest like but um yeah so yeah and then and then like when he wasn't saying like give me have have a go at that have a go at that i'd be still like looking through the yeah. collection for myself you know yeah it was amazing yeah i can't say i got into simply red even though my dad tried his very hardest <laughs> to get, that was one, that was the one that you failed with <laughs> um you still get flashbacks and listen to make hook on the back of the car going out to liffy valley <laughs> um right last track um robert wyatt and sea song be different in the spring Um, before we tra- chat about it first though thanks so much again for coming on oh sounds Re- sound. really appreciate it yeah, yeah. I honestly do um, I'm really looking forward to the, the gig in May is first of May isn't it first of May yeah yeah. you yeah. must be extremely excited that's a big book yeah, yeah, yeah. oh yeah I mean like big goal there now like I mean I, di- I didn't expect to you know I didn't expect it, it, to, it to happen so quickly mm. you know but um, uh, you know honoured to uh, be playing somewhere like Vicar Street you know what I mean yeah because even the Whelan's thing when it, when it got from when it got announced to when the show was, yeah, there was a scramble for like you know there was no tickets available and like yeah, yeah, yeah. the 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 speed in which it was a wheeling show was probably appropriate to when the gig was on and you, yeah. people were probably like oh, why aren't you doing a bigger show Yeah, well, I mean, like I think a few people were saying we could have done a would would I put on another show, yeah. but it was at a time when like you know like there was so few dates to, to mm. choose from you know so um, I was happy to just do the one and it was. It was amazing. It yeah. was like the, the atmosphere was incredible. Like, blown away by it. Yeah, be yeah. interesting to see how the dynamic shifts. Obviously, Vicar Street is a small, 
uh, atmosphere, big venue sort of vibe. You yeah, know, it yeah. always seems to maintain that. Even no matter how yeah. many people are in it, it always seems to maintain that intimacy, yeah. which is nice. But it'll be interesting to see how it like. Um, I don't know translates to even like festival stages. I saw you at the Meadows mm. uh, festival. Now that was like, uh, you know, the the seating arrangements were pretty dystopian at that, so yeah, it wasn't yeah, the same yeah, sort of vibe. Yeah, but yeah. it was amazing. But you you know that level of stage yeah. and that that like it'd be interesting to see how the dynamic sort of changes as the stages get bigger. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Looking yeah. forward to seeing it. But uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, that is it. That is a, a something I've been thinking about as well. But uh, I reckon. I reckon I'm I'm fairly I wouldn't be scared of it anyway like oh it'd be yeah, amazing I'm, I'm really yeah. looking forward to it like like I can imagine a um you know sunny festival day yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 you can picture it um okay back to Robert Wyatt um last track Sea Song um you you've referred to him as the main man before I believe. oh he's the main man yeah <laughs> <laughs> he is like I mean he is just the main man <laughs> I love him I love him I love his voice his voice is like he's just talking to you he has this odd odd voice he's, he doesn't really give a shit just singing away like like you're singing down the pub or whatever and you know it's a real like kind of a, it's a real folk voice but not a particularly good one <laughs> but that's why it's so good like i mean he's a genius like and he's pairing this like his odd voice with these like insane arrangements that are taken from all sorts of genres um and yeah like it's kind of it's it's like that Larkin Grimm thing where he's just like I'm just gonna do whatever I want here but also the songwriting is is, is very thoughtful and the lyrics are amazing and mm. you know it's a, he's the kind of whole package and like the the even like the the there's no the dodgy kind of it's not dodgy but like kind of the synth sounds like even in in this track, like the the metronome kind of almost right through the track, is like wow! How did you, it's so brave? It's such mm. a brave, brave music it takes so many. I don't think I wouldn't call them risks because he really knows it. He's very sure. He's obviously very sure of what he's doing, but like brave mm. and like singular. And I think like he's spurred on. A whole scene in uh, in England, you know. Certainly, like M- R- Richard Dawson must take a lot from from Robert Wyatt, um, and he's another amazing head. But uh, yeah, Robert Wyatt's one of my favorites, anyway. Amazing. Okay, John, that's it. <laughs> that <sounds laughs> nice one. Thank yeah. you very much. Sound really yeah, appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs>